You're listening to L&D in Action, winning strategies from learning leaders. This podcast, presented by Get Abstract, brings together the brightest minds in learning and development to discuss the best strategies for fostering employee engagement, maximizing potential, and building a culture of learning in your organization. This week, I'm speaking with Martin Holechko. Martin is an entrepreneur with an impressive history in the technology sector. In 1997, he founded Etnetra, an IT services and consulting company that he hopes will one day become the first 100-year-old internet company. More recently, Martin created Futureport, an organization that creates educational conferences for young students. Based out of Prague, Futureport Youth delivers expert-led presentations to more than 5,000 students at 100 schools representing 20-plus countries each year. A computer engineer by trade, Martin has also founded a virtual reality firm, working closely with companies to develop learning programs that deploy the next generation of technology. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to L&D in Action. I'm your host, Tyler Lay, and today I'm speaking with Martin Holechko. Martin, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Thank you for having me. So I went to your website, the Future Port Youth website, and the very front page in big, massive letters and numbers, uh, it says 85% of jobs current students will be doing uh, by the year 2030, which is only seven years away now, don't exist right now. Truly mind-blowing. Although when I think about it, the jobs that I do currently did not exist when I was even in college. I currently do social media and a podcast, clearly. Um, and I remember there was one guy at my school who was starting a social media marketing agency back then. And everybody was like, that's wild, man. Like, we're not there yet. That's not quite what it is. So I, this this isn't a totally mind-blowing thing to me. But I, my question is, ultimately, what are these jobs that students are going to be doing in 2030? Well, if anybody knew, then probably they would, uh, you know, they would be making a lot of money uh, preparing people for that. But uh, I, w- I just came from a conference and uh, there was a lady talking about these things. And uh, she she said, like, you know, it's not so bad because 60 uh, percent of the jobs that uh, um, were we were, that we are doing now were not existing in the in the 1940s. And I thought, like. Yeah, but I mean, this is like 80 years ago and 60%. And now we are talking seven years ahead and 85%. So it's actually a huge, huge difference. And uh, I think it just really reflects the amount of um, technological progress uh, that is um, changing everything around us, including jobs, including learning, including um, our daily lives. And um, yeah, we can we can uh, you know uh, jump into predictions uh, what that could be uh, you know in the AI direction or um, I don't know sustainability direction other directions but uh, in the end uh, I think uh, it's really hard to say anything about what kind of jobs will be there in in seven ten years because we don't know how much. Uh, especially, for example, AI will change the landscape for what we are doing and how we are living. Well, I would argue that you might be one of those people who, as you said at the start there, you know, if somebody knew, they'd probably be making some money on it. I mean, you are currently teaching children of the world about what's theoretically coming next. And of course, you're bringing in other experts and everything. And um, I I do want to refer to some predictors. So it's uh, BCG, Boston Consulting Group, that you cite on the cover of the website, the WEF, the World Economic Forum, 
uh, has some predictions. And guess what? AI and sustainability are the top two from their 2023 um, like state of uh, jobs or report. They have a report that goes over that sort of thing. And they have, you know, a hundred different categories of positions. And at the very top, number one is AI specialists. And it's like a categorical difference in the prediction that that will be a, po- a net positive change. Whatever that means, AI specialists, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a very broad term, of course, as is sustainability specialists. So yeah. I guess, you know, that's kind of my, my next set of questions there. I mean, you've already identified that those are going to be big, but Maybe what have you learned from the folks that you bring to your event, Futureport Youth? Um, what have you learned, you know, just in the work that you've done about these jobs that might be coming through, especially in those two categories? Basically, I um, by doing this event, I kind of admit I don't really know uh, much, <laughs> uh, but um, I, I, as you say, I gather a lot of uh, amazing people from around the world uh, to talk to the. To the kids, or I mean, it's, it's actually not kids; it's teenagers and young adults, sixteen to twenty-six, about what their f- vision of the future is like. Because these people are working in some domains where they are trying to, you know, push the envelope, and uh, they are imagining, they are living in their heads already in the future. And uh, I bring them to to talk about what that future will look like, and and through that. Um, I want to inspire and empower the young people yeah, to imagine for themselves uh, what their role in such futures would be. So, I mean, that's that's kind of how the, the whole um, um, event or my activity is set up. If I should answer to your question, it's maybe not so much about specific roles or industries, but it's more about, usually it's heading more towards the skills that... Uh, young people will need in the future and um, that will be like universally needed like you know creativity or ability and um, love to learn more because the constant learning is something that everybody agrees on that will be just constantly faced with change and have to adapt and therefore if if you don't like learning you will have a very hard time uh, also, communication skills becoming increasingly important. Um, things like grit uh, or entrepreneurial um, abilities. These these are like general, let's say, yeah, skills and abilities. I, I think we should increasingly focus on also in in schools and in, in the formal education, because if. Uh, the young people have those. They are basically able to adapt to whatever is coming, and uh, yeah, and go with with the flow of uh, what will the crazy future bring. So I'm seeing a lot of people that are very concerned and calling for really aggressive learning in organizations right now. Really preparing for what's coming next, tech- technologically and just economically and societally since there are so many things changing right now with mass layoffs and just a lot of job insecurity, there's a lot of people that are advocating for more intense organizational learning. And you used to be involved in that sort of thing. You, you've you worked on some products and on some teams that worked in, you know, continued lifelong education at organizations and sort of with different companies. But ultimately, you chose to work with kids through Futureport Youth. And I'm curious as to why that is. Do you think that, you know, it's it's more important right now to train that next generation in than it is to actually work on, you know, people that are currently in our companies. It's probably not a matter of, 
you know, this is more important than that. But what ultimately drove you to work with children or with, you know, teenagers and students? Uh, that, it was actually the, the impulse was uh, coming uh, in the COVID time. And uh, before, before, before that, uh, from um, or since uh, 2017, we've been doing this type of events, which were broader and um, large scale physical events, five, 10,000 people coming uh, over the course of two days uh, from all audiences like yeah, entrepreneurs, startups, uh, people from the government, but also students and, and just general public. Uh, trying to um, yeah, learn something about where the future is heading. But um, during the COVID time, we felt like the need is the most with the young people who were, you know, locked up at home, of course, and uh, didn't really have a lot of bright future kind of um, picture in front of, of their faces. And uh, Mm, we thought, why don't we use our, you know, resources and skills uh, and connections in this mm, in this whole field to to bring some inspiring mm, content, people, role models, people who who see beyond the things we read in the media about how the world is going uh, down or in the wrong direction. Uh, of course, there are many many big problems, but the, it's also very much about the attitude yeah, you have. And if you see the problems as opportunities to solve, I mean, I I always quote Peter Diamandis, um, the founder of Singularity University, who says always the, the world's biggest uh, challenges are the world's uh, biggest business opportunities. And if you want to uh, make a million dollars, uh, help a million people. Yeah. Or, so if if you have that kind of um, approach and attitude, then that's something we try to also inspire in the young people through these events. Then um, uh, you see the problem, but you approach them with the spirit. Okay, how how do we solve it? Or yeah, what is what is the thing I want to uh, be involved in? Put my energy into so. Um, that motivation during the the COVID time basically led to creating you know, of this spin-off event and uh, focusing on the on the youth, and I must say it's also very refreshing to work with with the young people. Um, the companies can be sometimes uh, you know pretty spoiled already, and uh, the young people are just open and eager to to learn and see and uh, yeah so. So it was also, it's been also very rewarding to to work with the youth, and that's uh, why we are putting yeah more energy into that. And other than that, I think it's uh, super important uh, to put a lot of energy into learning and development in the companies or within organizations. Um, I see great new ways of multi-angle approach to that uh, you know there used to be uh, trainings then like e-trainings or like maybe something with virtuality etc etc but what i see now is a, a very I, I see some great examples of uh, like very holistic approach to let's say a learning path within the company that has all these kind of different uh, little pieces and uh, really takes the person from inspiration to transformation. 
that's actually one um, one slogan from from a company I I know here in in Prague that uh, does it really well and uh, I I love that that it's not just about you know ticking a box uh, my people went through this training and that's it but uh, there's really a very much uh, emphasis on the final transformation on, on the application of what has been uh, taught or trained. I'm glad that you've had success with the students that you're with. And speaking of students and youth, I used to be one of those as well, as I oh, <laughs> assume too, you too. did too. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hate to say it, but when I was a student, I was a very good student, but I hated it, man. It's like I was just not enthusiastic about school. And it was all just kind of like my duty, you know, when I was in grade school and in high school and it, mostly those two, I just, I didn't love it and nobody around me loved it. And this very much could be the demographic of America that I was in, you know, sort of suburban, small town. When I got to college, I started to figure it out. But I I suspect there's a lot of students, especially, you know, post COVID now that are just like less enthusiastic about learning, especially since you know, a lot of things haven't changed outside of the medium that they're actually learning through now, now that there's more digital learning and that sort of thing. I, I'm curious as to what you found based on the methodology of your events and how you have worked with kids and students, you know, what really gets them going these days? I mean, is it, does it always come down to the presenter and the person that's presenting to them? Is it the content of the information? Is it the medium through which it's presented? What do you think really makes a difference for youth these days? I think the the youth today is much more demanding uh, on the level of how how the content is delivered. It has to have energy. It has to have you know there has to be some juice in in how the information is passed uh, over. Um, I think the you know we we all read about uh, how um, social media and you know. Um, mobile phones and all all these devices how they are shortening the attention span of of young people or even of us if if we use it in the same way um <clears throat> uh, everything is just much more also professional and flashy and so on so like the moment you uh present some uh, present something in a you know boring frontal way i think people disconnect much faster than uh maybe we used to we, we we maybe hated it but we probably kind of try to put up with stay, <laughs> stay put or something um but so but in general i think in a way it's there's a lot of similarities it's it boils down to the person usually the 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 character of the um, or the personality of the of the teacher or whoever is or the guide or the mentor or whoever is passing the information on if, if that person is passionate about what he's talking about and uh, is a decent uh, speaker usually the kids are very open to to listen it's when you start to be overcomplicated, uh, when you start to be too monotone, uh, then and then you lose them. So, I mean, on, at the events, um, we try to bring in a lot of interactivity, and uh, we basically choose the the speakers uh, based on two metrics. One is, of course, 
the if the topic is fitting and uh, we think it's something that will be inspiring but on the, uh, the second one and as important is the energy of the person we always look at videos and uh, and other talks uh, to see if that person is actually yeah kind of glowing and energetically uh, giving and then then we know it will work yeah, yeah I, I watched a few of the talks from last year's and i want to say it was david brojic and arash zarani i think was the other one and they both uh spoke in some sense about sustainability and the green future and that sort of thing and energy uh, yeah energy, uh, energy the energy Buddhism, crisis yeah. <laughs> it it really got me thinking about what it must be like to be a student these days and learning about these things because i i think i was just in front of the the generation that has just like ubiquitous internet access like i got a computer when i was kind of like early to late early to mid teens i guess which was later than most of my friends but and then you know internet access from there but pretty much everybody behind me was getting internet access at a very young age as, as soon as they could kind of use a device or whatever they more or less had access to the internet and since then you know everybody's got google and youtube and there's just constant overabundance of information just on the the media that we consume so like social media and that sort of thing especially you know gen z and the younger generations that also include a lot of the really really serious stuff like i mean as as news media did for me when i was younger and for you i'm sure as well but it's it's very fast paced it's very um eclectic the sources that it comes from and we're just we're consuming so much from so many different sources that i think what you're doing is very important because you're able to curate things and it's really critical to find those who are kind of in the space that's pushing the needle and pushing the envelope like one degree farther than where it's at so that you know kids can see from those people not just from any source that needs to cover it because that's their job but they can actually hear from people like david and arash who are working on the green future and on energy, renewable energy, and they can learn from that. So do you think that there's a bit of a risk? That's ultimately my question here. Is there a bit of a risk with the way that students are kind of consuming information now that when they become adults in the workforce, that they that they won't quite have the information that they need to really make the right decisions when it comes to you know the big questions of energy and equality and all those things? Do you think that they need a more curated system from events like you and just sort of better support what they're learning these higher order concepts i mean we 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 try to be like an um um uh, how do you call it like an intervention in, into this constant flow of of information that you described uh, and uh you know to 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 bring together a, a real like a, a a push of um more in-depth information, uh, you know, condensed into one day that, uh, that may, you know, change something in, in the perception and, uh, open some doors or, um, um, inspire some, like a new, new view on things you, you mentioned, uh, Araji was talking about energy Buddhism, his, his, uh, that's how he calls it is his, uh, vision is that energy should be like a, uh, yeah, on universal human right uh, to to energy, and uh, that in the future the energy will be abundant and will be basically free. And uh, and if when you hear that, uh, it it might change something in your like long term perception, and then maybe you you gain a little bit different perspective uh, um, to the you know daily 
or hourly or monthly inflow of of your TikTok, uh, you know, drops of of information. Uh, it is uh, I, the the way I see it. When when you, you said when I was totally pre-internet uh, in my high school, uh, the internet came when I was yeah actually just starting university and. Uh, um, the way I see it, it's like the, yeah, the, the, the kids today, they are living in so much more complex and much more um, unpredictable world and much more yeah, overfilled with information world that I think it's, it's really harder for them to kind of navigate this, this maze. Um, the, 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 the world is filled with all this information as for us, I, the way I see it, we had less of the outer information, more of the information or more of the world we had to create in our own heads. Um, and I don't, of course, one could argue here that uh, one, one would develop more of an Im- imagination and all that, but not everybody did that as well. So um, uh, I think it's just a different time and uh, the kids have to deal and use their brain processing power for kind of using this uh, m- informational matter to to you know to form it into something that will make sense for them i'm now i'm thinking more about like um uh, where do i go what do i want to do what is you know what um career I pursue, do I start my own company or not? And for us, it was more like, you know, sitting somewhere, thinking about it and having ideas and, you know, slowly developing as, as now you have like these bombardments. I have a, I have a 13 year old son and he, he comes up every other day with some new business idea because he saw it on a TikTok. Um, yeah. Like how to make money here, how to make money there. And, and, uh, and it's uh, it could be somehow uh, distressing, but it's also inspiring that uh, there is a pattern. He sees these things, and these are uh, for him interesting. That means he has something in him that he wants to probably uh, pursue a, an entrepreneurial kind of career in the future. But uh, <clears throat> it's uh, amazing how many uh, uh, get rich fast kind of schemes one gets uh, <laughs> on the social media nowadays. and uh, But it again, uh, it, it, after that, it leads into uh, interesting debates we have about values and about uh, <clears throat> is this type of uh, approach to business sustainable, not in the green uh, sense, but in the sense of can you make uh, a business last, which is based on such principles, and and so, so in the end, uh, uh, I think it's it has also a value. It's just uh, a very a different uh, time and a very different way of dealing with um, with information. And of course, it is it is. Uh, I mean, the negative uh, impacts of this type of consumption of information i think it's today already pretty well known and uh, it increases you know the the chances of hdd and 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 um you know depression and yeah the 
feeling of loneliness, etc. So one has to, of course, address this. But uh, I wouldn't say that one time was better than the other. It's just different. And ours was also very different from the, the times of our parents. Yeah, of course. I mean, the biggest thing that I find to be exciting and concerning at the same time is the original question that we talked about here, which is the the different jobs that students will be in in as little as seven years, um, which to me is indicative of the, I mean, it's the pace of change of technology primarily, the quantum of change, as a former guest, Robin J. Suthausen called it once. The, the quantum of change of technology is so rapid that I suspect that the world will look very, very different as I'm kind of finishing up my career than it did as I was starting it. And what I think of most is the flip side of my previous question, which is students are on their devices, kids are on their devices, they're consuming from the internet pretty much constantly. Are they also going to have a much better hold on the technology that's coming out than the generations before them? So I have a few friends that were very deep into programming and coding and they went on to work at Microsoft. They were at my high school and they went on to work at Microsoft and Facebook and that sort of thing. And they're always kind of like miles ahead of us because they just were really into it. They had computers before the rest of us did and they were just, you know, they were deep into it. And I'm I'm curious that like, are we going to see some sort of a, a loose generational divide or a serious one where a new generation of workers comes in and they just all have like a a level of technological savvy that my generation and, and you know other generations simply lack because we weren't raised on AI assistance like ChatGPT. You know, we didn't have ChatGPT when we were born, but you know, a generation that's being born now will have that. And there will be generations that always have AI tools immediately at their disposal, which theoretically is, you know, information 4.0, industrial revolution 4.0 at their fingertips. So do you see a potential divide in the workforce when those people actually get into the workforce in terms of know-how? I uh, I don't see so much the generational divide. I see more like a divide uh, between people who it, at any given time have or don't have access uh, to, to the technology. I think with the Technology at the same time it develops super fast, faster and faster. I mean, the uh, people like Ray Kurzweil, yeah, they are talking about the you know the uh, law of uh, increasing returns, or uh, basically with whatever technology you have, uh, you create uh, another better technology faster than uh, you could pre- previously. But <clears throat> what I also see the technology is also becoming more, I don't know if the right word is humane, but like more, at least more user friendly, adaptive. I mean, my parents, my father, yes, my mother never really started to use computer very well. Um, she was, uh, she was a pharmacist and she didn't need it. And then when it came, it was too late, but she's a, a very, let's say avid user of, of a smartphone. So, um, Mm, she kind of skipped <laughs> this uh, this uh, one generation of devices, the, the com- person computers, and she's totally fine with a smartphone. This also happened in in, in some places uh, in the world, like in some parts of Africa, where people didn't have phone, didn't have computers, but then with the coming uh, smartphone revolution, uh, they suddenly jumped 
over all these different uh, generations of devices. And they are totally fine with using that. And uh, with AI, it, it's becoming even, let's say, more or less requiring to have technical skills like programming or, I mean, the, the general usage of it. Of course, if you want to start developing large scale language models yourself, then probably you need to go deep. But uh, if you want to use AI today, you type into ChatGPT your question and here comes the answer. So this will be an, 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 an already is uh, basically with voice GPT and, and, and other similar uh, technologies becoming just voice operated and the you know the actually what we are essentially working on now in AI and robotics etc is basically devices that behave like humans or understand your normal human ways so you don't have to do this like I want to do something I have to translate it into a movement of my fingers on a keyboard to you know enter some characters that then go into the computer and are interpreted somehow and then maybe the outcome you just say what you want yeah you you when when you're using uh dali or um or midjourney today uh, this image generating uh, ai um, services you just say what kind of picture you want to have and it generates it maybe not exactly as you wanted it but somehow and you can kind of converse with that and you get the result uh, before i mean you would have to learn how to use photoshop how to use you know tools like that and you would have to even have the skills to to paint and so on that level i i see that i think the technology will be, be actually more democratic on that level so it will require less specialized skills on the very general level so and i think this uh, unless you really go into a tech job uh, the divide should be actually smaller than bigger from that point of view that's a really interesting development is is the going from the gui to the louis is, is a conversation that i had probably five years ago on a previous show the graphic user interface which is you know anything where you're clicking or typing and looking at on a screen to the language user interface, which is where you're speaking to something. And it's less of an interface, but just an understanding of what kind of commands and prompts you can use to work with the machine. And you know, I have a, an Alexa in my home right now, and I don't use her for that much other than the music and the news that I listen to, but <laughs> I suspect that people are doing much more. And Actually, not not really. That's what, what one of the, what, that's one of the the, the findings that uh, there was that this is the most uh, that very very few people actually buy through Alexa. This uh, uh, most people use it for yeah music, maybe some lights and maybe some reminders or something. <laughs> but actually, you said Gui and Louis, and uh, you will go to Tui uh, in a couple of years, like a, a thinking user interface. You will not even have to say that perhaps if if um, yeah if projects like uh, Neuralink or others will uh, you know be successful so the direction we are heading is that I, I think is the uh, is the animated movie I think Wally or something like basically everything happens for us kind of without without you know us needing to do anything so that's one kind of Utopic, utopic, and at the same time, this topic, I think, uh, futures uh, that could lie ahead of us. But uh, I'm not, I'm not worried so much about this 
skills divide, as you said. And also uh, one one more thing to this um, notion of, oh, in seven years, there will be 85% of jobs that we don't know today. Uh, if I see young people in, in our company today, they are usually they come and they are very skilled and they are also very, I would say, independent and kind of know what they want. At the same time, sometimes they don't know what they want, but they they but they think they know what they want. But what I want to see, say is that they they usually actually look for a, a project for a year or two. And then in their minds, they want to move on anyway. So already now, basically, the, the, the young generation, I think, is very much less focused on a long-term career. I mean, we know that already since many years. Like, they are not, uh, I think besides countries like Japan, there are no people today who want to finish their university and find a job in a company and then stay there for 50 years. Yeah. So, but, but the generation, the Gen Z and the <clears throat> like the generations around, they, they really think much more in terms of interesting projects. And I go here, I, I do this project, I'll get this new skill, I learn something, and then I move to another interesting project. And usually they actually, they actually require uh, the learning being a part of that, uh, of, of a job. Like they don't want to do things that they know how to do in a way. They, they, they want to do things that uh, challenge the things they, they know or that they, um, yeah, that, that they learn and acquire new, new skills. I think they are actually, yeah, uh, and that's great because they are like, uh, in a way, adapted for, for the, what's going to come. But what I wanted to say is that already now, I think that people have, for them, a job is something that lasts one or two years. And then they, there is another job, maybe in the more or less same domain, but probably if you're a programmer, because I'm talking about our uh, my IT company, Okay, you probably stay in the IT domain, but you will probably learn a new language or a new framework or a new approach because now you can use AI to uh, help you program. You have a copilot programming tools powered by AI. So, and if that actually stops and you are, for example, working on one project for too long, um, usually the people are actually uh, unhappy and bored and they want to leave and so i i believe actually it's all right because this is how it's gonna be and i don't think it's like we will wake up one day and say oh there's like all these new jobs and nobody knows how to do them but it will just evolve organically and uh, with the people uh, of today or young people of today they will just you know like flow with what's needed at that moment and maybe it will get even shorter and a good job will be something for a month and then you switch to something else but <laughs> yeah that that's interesting to think about right now though because of all the layoffs that have been happening especially in you know big american companies and that sort of thing it's i see it and i feel it myself as you know it's sort of a later gen z member um I'm, I've been fortunate enough to have careers that more or less resemble that very intentionally. And I guess my question, my follow-up question is, on the entrepreneurship end of things, do you think that 
future generations are going to be more entrepreneurial? Do you think that they're going to have more opportunity to be entrepreneurial just because of the access to information? And because, for instance, like your son, you know, seeing ads about something that was kind of, you know, a, um, a money-making opportunity, what, whether that was, you know, maybe a bit of a scam or if it was real, but, you know, just in general, access to more data, more information, and more tools to do things more efficiently. Do you think that will increase the level of sort of entrepreneurial spirit? Or is that really a matter of spirit that you have to just teach entrepreneurship as a concept and as an endeavor and as an attitude? Is it more so something that's taught into people than given to them through the resources they have? Well, I, I believe uh, they're going to be more. I, I'm just um, pondering if that, um, if uh, our understanding of uh, entrepreneurship uh, is the same uh, for them as for us. Uh, I think the, I mean, one of the, the, the important things for my generation in being an entrepreneur is the ability, is the grit, is the ability to, you know, pull through hard times uh because it's really uh intoxicating at the beginning when you have the idea and you start to you know uh, imagine everything and you inspire some people to jump in with you and so on but the day will come sooner than later uh that also the difficulties come and you find out that uh, oh not all the people who, who you employed are actually as dedicated to what you're doing or have different motives uh, than you have. And uh, you, you don't understand that as a, as a first time as entrepreneur and um, you have to deal with, yeah, going through that. And uh, I believe maybe in regard to what we said before, if, if the world is changing so much and the needs are changing and it's more like project kind of uh, driven future, then maybe also this skill will not be as uh, important as some kind of a, or it will be, but in a different sense, it will not be about starting a company and building something for 20 years, uh, but maybe um, it will be more like a kind of a gig company style for one, two years, a project. Oh, I see this opportunity. It's amazing. You know, I can build this. NFT collections and da, 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 and, and, you know, and, and you do it, you acquire some skills. It, it's actually a company. You, you sell some things, but then this trend starts to fade out and you just move over to something else. And, uh, and you will need the grid to start again and again. Uh, but, uh, which is a bit different than like, you know, building a company and having more and more people and so on. I think also this will be very different with with the AI being basically useful in many different ways and fields and roles that uh, it might be not so much about building a company with thousands of people or hundreds or even dozens, but you might be very well off as a freelancer with, you know, two, three helpers and a lot of um yeah, AI-based uh, support uh, on all levels of, of the company. So I think it will be a little bit more like fragmented and, you know, less solid, more like fluid, less less solid. Now here's a company and it will stay here until, you know, in my company, we started in 1997. 
long time ago, and um, actually 26 years ago. And we actually have in our um, kind of a motto inside of the company, uh, we say we are building the first 100-year-old internet company. And because we are in the, you know, we are in the software, uh, custom software uh, development for for the internet, for, for clients. And um, the reason why we made it our motto was to kind of indicate that uh, we are doing something we believe in. We don't want to just get, you know, uh, rich quickly and then get rid of the company. We want to build long-term relationships with clients, etc. So, but I basically, I think starting something today, it's, it's, it's a pretty ridiculous thought maybe to look at it this way. <laughs> so you've had some really cool experience with technology, working with VR and working with companies, as I said before, kind of in learning and all of that. Um, I just want to ask a few more questions about your experience there. So uh, were you working closely enough with companies and, and the people in the organizations to kind of understand how the technology that you were developing was interacting with them? And if so, do you have any statements on kind of what you found about how people were reacting to and learning from cutting edge technology like virtual reality, for instance? I think virtual reality um, is a, is like... A, yeah, it's something I'm I'm um, interested in or even passionate about at times um, for a long time. And uh, in my re- in my recent uh, kind of uh, project, uh, we started two years ago, actually showing companies how they can already easily today work and cooperate in in the metaverse or with virtual reality that you can actually bring people from different locations into one virtual space and they, they, their avatars look more or less like us. So you can recognize the people and it has all kinds of, um, interesting, uh, properties like people start to, as opposed to like a, a zoom call, people start to just chit chat because they like, you know, see each other next to each other. And they just start to naturally talk about things that on a zoom call like that, they wouldn't, uh, that's a totally different feeling but um i must say the the vr itself it's uh um the the first effect was always wow and people you know mind blown but that's it (laughs) there was like uh very few people who would then come back to it or like say, okay, let's now implement it in the company. It will change everything. And I think it will one day, but it's uh, it's still not there. I think we've been for a couple of past years saying, yeah, once Apple starts, then it will change like with the iPhone. So now Apple is launching next year. Uh, it's uh, Apple Vision. Yeah. And uh, I, I believe it's a beginning of uh, like a, a, a serious uh, adaptation of, of the technology. But until then, and and, and also what uh, what uh, Meta is now doing uh, with their uh, third iteration of the Meta Quest, uh, it will also, I think, be a, um, something that will push us forward. I, I mean, there are... And, 
again, it's 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 been discussed for many years. There are like amazing opportunities for learning with VR, and <clears throat> of course, you can use it today as well. I mean, you can use it for soft skills, hard skills training, uh, very much in the companies. But <clears throat> I think its time will only come in a couple of years when the devices get uh, more easy to use and the ecosystems become more robust. Um, and I believe uh, that uh, the little screens we are carrying in our pockets will become uh, a cool shades <laughs> at one point, but uh, I, I don't, yeah, it's, it's not yet, I think, for the mass adoption. The AI, though, I think there's uh, quite a, few ideas that will be developed there, like whole governments, I think Korean government, South Korean government, they uh, they have an initiative that I think by 2025 or 2026, every student will have his or her own uh, AI kind of tutor. And they want to fight inequalities in education um, with that. And, and of course, there are amazing implications if you you can already through internet today, yeah, access uh, basically the knowledge of the best universities, even in the parts of the world where there are no universities. But uh, but still, it's different than if you have a your own personalized AI tutor that's kind of curating what you need to be learning. So one last question related to this. If you can give any advice as to how companies can assess and test an experiment with new technologies that might be sort of novel or just something that they haven't experienced before. So getting the budget for something like implementing VR or even AI tools in your company can be a difficult process because you have to go through and say, okay, this is why this is going to help the company, even though there's probably not a ton of use cases yet. Um, this is why it's going to be relevant to our specific departments and why it's going to help our product or whatever. And then you have to go through an actual testing process and experimentation to see how it really works. Do you have any just general advice for how to go about safely and efficiently adopting a new technology? Well, I, I think that this like playful experimentation is the best uh, approach with, I mean, what we do, we run different challenges in the company, but we ask the, you know, people to form little teams in between departments and, uh, and, uh, we run like, you know, it, it runs for five, six weeks. Um, they get a little budget and then um, we actually ask for the most like exciting usage of that particular technology to, to try out. So it's not about the most, you know, useful or most value added bringing, uh, but the most like exciting in a way also can be crazy like just to 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 uh, just to experiment just to put your hands on that technology and and think about it and uh if if you put it in a, such a like low pressure uh um playful kind of um setup a lot of creativity comes out and fun things come out and of course uh, many of them are like nonsense in the real life, but they show some way of using technology. And we, I remember when IoT was kind of th this big wave of IoT, we were 
uh, we thought, okay, our people should know about this technology. They should uh, they should also play with it, acquire some some skills, and uh, we, we we did one of these challenges and. Uh, um, you know, I think one of the most popular experiments that was run, and then at the end, yeah, we we we, we rank them and we give them some prizes, etc. So I think one of the most uh, praised one was uh, a little sensor that would de- detect the how how the toilets are occupied or not occupied. So you don't have to you know go from your desk <laughs> to the bathrooms and then find out they are occupied and come back and. <laughs> and and there was, uh, <laughs> yeah, there was even a, a yeah, a timer that if someone was sitting too long, uh, then you should also fired. <laughs> leave some uh, time <laughs> before visiting that cabin. Uh, so I mean, like uh, a silly, uh, silly things like that. But it 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 basically shows okay you can use sensors you can use you know gather data you can make some decisions but and 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 that's i think if you do something yeah as i said low pressure and creative like that i think that's the best way how to experiment with technologies of course that's a first step but uh, uh and then you have to go further with that but and there are there are real experts on the internal innovation process uh but I, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm. Uh, I will not pretend I am one. One of them. But I, I always uh, brought some inspiration into the company through such experiments. And the moment it's fun, people just engage and they, they, they put in their own time and their own ten- energy and uh, and both benefit the, both the company and both both themselves. They learn something new and the company has some new ideas too. Yeah, I, I love that approach. A little bit of freedom, a little bit of fun. I think there's no better way to learn what something is capable of than giving people autonomy and the ability to just play around. So I think that's a great approach. Before we finish up, can you just let our audience know where they can learn more about you and your work and also the events that you do? Probably LinkedIn is a good way to start. And uh, uh, the the event uh, I'm currently preparing, uh, you mentioned Futureport Youth. So futureportyouth.com is... Um, yeah, the easiest way I think to find more about that event. And uh, if you find me on LinkedIn under Martin Holichko, I think there are not many uh, people of that name. Then uh, you'll see all my projects, and yeah, easy easy to find me. I'm not a big social media guy myself, so don't look for me uh, in Facebook. <laughs> okay, great. Well, thank you so much once more for joining me today. And for everybody listening at home, thank you for joining. We will catch you on the next episode. Cheers. You've been listening to L&D in Action, a show from Get Abstract. Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player to make sure you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a rating, leave a comment, and share the episodes you love. Help us keep delivering the conversations that turn learning into action. Until next time.